Welcome to Movie Heaven, Movie Hell with me, Simon Aiken. And I'm Keith Isles. And we are both independent filmmakers as well as lifelong fans of film, TV shows and all things movie related. Um, so uh, we're, we're here gonna... to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go for it. <laughs> oh, we should get this patted down. Um, and <laughs> and we're here to talk about um, directors, uh, talk about the films we like and hate. Absolutely. And uh, we are um, covering uh, both directors, recent directors and classic directors. So uh, everything from Abrams to Zemeckis or Alan to Zeffirelli. Um, and we're working through the alphabet uh, on our first pass at the moment. And the letter we're on at the moment is F. F. So, and it's uh, F for Fincher. Yay, David, David Fincher. Fincher, we love you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, it's going to be a love fest. It is, but I it think. Is. Yeah. Well, he is one of those directors that whose career we've we've seen start from the very beginning and we followed him all the way up to his current film uh gone girl which came out last year uh so you it's it's nice to have that like connection because you've just seen him like it's like a child he's grown <laughs> in front of us in front of our eyes absolutely i mean um you, you know he he along with you know the likes of probably tarantino or christopher nolan or somebody like that is as you said we you know um we've they weren't necessarily making films before we were born or when we were kids we we've sort of as adults grown up with these guys and i'm actually pleased to say in this particular case um with a lot of the directors we've talked about so far i've had to admit and throw my hands up and say look even though i've seen a lot of their films i haven't seen every single film of theirs uh but in this case i can actually say that i have seen all of david finch's films and all at the cinema as well. Uh, unfortunately, I can't say that because I've still not seen the girl with the dragon t tattoo and Gone Girl. Ah, um, oh. I, I need to. I got to catch up with them. The only, the only reason why I'm seeing the girl with the dragon tattoo is because I enjoyed the original so much, and from what I heard, they didn't bring that much to, to the story that was different. So that's why I haven't really gone out there and watched it yet. But I'll catch up with it. I'll yeah. be, it'll be on TV or something, or. It'll turn up in a bargain bin somewhere and I'll just go, oh, I'll pick that up and watch it. Yeah, I mean, that is very true. It's it's kind of, uh, I, I too am a fan of the uh, the original film and the original trilogy. And in fact, I really like all this sort of, it, it, it made the, the whole Nordic noir, um, you know, film and television, you know, incredibly popular, even though it had been around for a long time up to then. But, uh, you know, that, that was a sort of film that, that sort of brought that into the mainstream. And I have to admit, yes, I, I'm a fan of the original. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with Fincher's film. It's, it's, it's not much different to the original. It's a very good story in the first place. And, you know, they've just gone ahead and uh, you, you made it in, in the English language with some Hollywood named actors in it. But it's essentially the same thing, um, you, you know, but, but very enjoyable. So you should, you should check it out. <laughs> yeah, just just a quick aside. I saw the girl with the dragon tattoo at Fright Fest, and this was um, 
it was being shown on a Saturday and it was like a really packed day full of films. And of course, to have this like two and a half hour film, or was it three hours? It's been a it while. It's nearly since three hours, I think. Three hours. Mm. Have this three hour film in the middle of that was just like, oh God. And the the poster they had was this really badly put together one. And it just made it look like some sort of um, cyberpunk kind of film. And I thought, oh, this is going to be terrible. But I went to see it. And uh, as soon as I sat down to watch it, I was drawn in. And those three hours flew by. And I'm very happy I decided to watch it and not go off and have a break somewhere. Because <laughs> as I say, it was a very packed day. Fair enough. I mean, as another aside, I actually, I know, I know we'll, we will get on to Fincher in a moment, but while we're talking about the girl with the dragon tattoo, uh, I did actually um, go to the cinema and watch the trilogy back to back. And, uh, you know, I was a bit worried. I was thinking, God, can my eyes cope with that, that many subtitles in one, <laughs> in one, one evening? But, uh, but, you know, they are, they are an incredibly, um, entertaining and, and well-made trilogy of films although i have to say that the first part the dragon tattoo part is probably i would say the most interesting of the of the three films from my perspective anyway you know <laughs> um but yeah no, that's cool. That's um, our little bit on 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 foreign films. See, we don't only talk about Hollywood; we talk about foreign <laughs> films too, aren't we? Good. <laughs> uh. But yeah, so to go back on to David Fincher, he originally worked for ILM, which is Industrial Light and Magic, before uh, moving on to form his own uh, production company uh, to make uh, music videos. So throughout the 80s and uh, 90s, he was making lots of music videos, big ones like uh, Vogue for Madonna. Or um, I'm trying to think of whatever it was. Oh, of course, the Sting video for Englishman in New York. Um, he was that guy who, if you wanted a, a glossy video, uh, he was the guy to get for. Um, like the George Michael one, where um, they had all the supermodels um, lip syncing to the song. Absolutely, I think that was called Freedom. Yes, uh, Freedom. Freedom 90, I think. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, absolutely. Through uh, through working from, you know, a visual effects background and obviously working with some of the the, the, the big hitters that IB, uh, ILM and then said IBM, my God, ILM would, uh, would 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 work with. Then uh, then then, of course, you know, right from the get go, he was learning the craft there and uh, you know, went on to do obviously commercials as as well as music videos and and and, and do so very successfully. One might might add. <laughs> That's right. And then, of course, uh, his first foray into uh, feature films was Alien Three, which he was brought on to very last minute um, after several directors dropping out, uh, including Rennie Harlan. Rennie Harlan, I think, was very early on. Attached, yes. and then Vincent yeah. Ward came in and reworked the script, and then of course it went back to David Geiler and Walter Hill, and then that's obviously at the point he got involved um, from 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 you know what is known out there. <laughs> yeah. But then um, after coming off the back of that, he uh, came out with Seven, which uh, was a film that totally showed off his his credentials i mean it was 
it was an amazing film. I mean, such a, I would say a comeback from what was like the, his, you know, first film. And just launched him as a director, which which Alien Three didn't as a feature director. So, you know, if from there his filmography just got better and better. No, I, I mean absolutely. Um, yeah, uh, you know, he didn't have the best of luck. To be fair, with Alien Three, and we'll, we'll probably come on to that. But uh, um, yeah, certainly Seven, uh, amazing piece of work. Um, really got him on the map, and uh, you, you know. Um, showed his style which uh yeah which which i have to say um having sort of re-watched a load of his movies in in the past couple of weeks uh since the last podcast um which is a very enjoyable experience because I, I really do like his films and he is one of my sort of favorite modern uh directors in inverted commas um uh, you, you know i realized that that he one of the things that makes him really, I think, impressive with what he does is, yes, he he, he sometimes has, you know, his, his sort of um, showy transitions between scenes and, you know, is well-renowned for, you know, fan, fancy opening credits and, and, and very, very imaginative camera work that way. But by the same merit, um, you know, he, he likes to work in his 235 to 1 aspect ratio. And... He, he kind of he also knows when to just, you know, leave the camera on a, on a tripod, as it were, and let the actors do their thing and, and let the scene play out very, very well that way. So, I mean, he's kind of he's kind of got that balance. If you look at someone like, you know, uh, perhaps Michael Bay, who's always, you know, very showy and every edit and every camera move and every transition is 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 you know a showy shot every single time and everything looks amazing and all this sort of thing compared to someone like you know Mike Lee that just sort of sets the camera up and and lets the actors you know improvise and do their thing and captures it that way I, I'd say somebody like Fincher is very good at sort of towing that line and getting the balance very right between you, you, you know, as a as a film director should in terms of, you know, A, letting the actors do their thing, but also, you know, um, letting the, 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 the camera and, and, you know, the other things tell the story as well. Oh, he's very good at, at camera movement. It's always sort of, uh, there's a purpose to it. And, uh, well, he's also very good at his space as well in the frame. So um, you can tell a lot, the time relationship wise how two people are to each other just through how they're positioned in the frame um absolutely i think we'll absolutely. go into that a bit more when we talk about um our picks but yeah uh, no yes, he's very absolutely. but the thing is he is very good at um you know he, he doesn't go for um you know shaky cam that much because he just wants you to see everything you know, it's it's very meticulous how it's done. Yeah, it's it's not showmanship just for showmanship's work. It's actually, yeah. you, you know, it, 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 it's motive, It's always motivating story or character, which is exactly what it should do. I mean, the problem with Michael Bay is it's like he can't keep still on anything. And so it's like, oh, look at this, look at this. Oh, no, wait a minute, look at this, look at this, wait a minute, look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this, you know, I mean, and also, it's his films have been compared to like 
well his his shots his camera work as like uh visual masturbation <laughs> yeah well i mean it is the yeah. thing is the shots are so cool that you barely got time to actually appreciate them before you're on to the next shot that's the exactly. thing isn't it <laughs> i mean that stuff as well as like you know he, he shoots everything uh with a fetishistic um angle so you know how he shoots the car is like how you shoot it in an advert like he shoots uh women i mean the whole was it rosie huntington's introduction in the fur transformers film where the camera's pointing up to you know from behind pointing upwards is very much like a paparazzi shot of somebody getting out of a, a vehicle it's very um sort of voyeuristic and you know sexualizing and it's just a woman walking you know it's yes just, one of the yeah. one of the few shots that i remember from that film <laughs> <laughs> for all the wrong reasons though <laughs> so, at the time seems that the uh the amount of time that each shot's length was was probably the longest he's ever had for a Transformer film. <laughs> Good Lord. Good Lord. Terrible, isn't it? Anyway, yes. let's uh, get off. Well, thank God we're past B. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's going to come round again, so maybe. It will, yeah. <laughs> no, oh, there's, there's, no, there's no movie heaven with that guy. <laughs> it's all movie hell. <laughs> anyway, so um, David Fincher. Um, yes. Right. So, Keith. What is your pick for movie heaven? All right, you like me to start? Yes, I, I always forget that. <laughs> okay, so um, yeah, uh, well, you know, it was it was a tricky one, um, mind you. I find lot lots of them tricky, but uh, so uh, yeah, I, I mean, I've really chosen the film that we're not supposed to talk about. Ah, first rule: you don't talk about it's it. And second, yeah. <laughs> I mean, nobody knows about Fight Club by now. It's just like, oh. well, we better say that there's going to be spoilers for all these films. So, if there is anyone actually listening to this that maybe <laughs> hasn't seen any of these films, which is probably unlikely, but yeah. uh, um, you, you know. Uh, there will be massive spoilers, so um, you, you know, may, maybe tune back another time. <laughs> it has been sixteen years. I think you've probably seen it by now. You know, sixteen years. Indeed, just say. Indeed. Well, yeah, I mean, we... the, the thing with Fight Club. Sorry. <laughs> sorry, we've got this annoying delayed reaction today, haven't we, on we the have. Skype? So yes. um, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's slightly distracting, but. Uh, Sorry, yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt you. What were you going to say? <laughs> okay, I was going to start off with a story. So, um, when Fight Club came out, I was working in the cinema, and I was mm -hmm. very close with uh, the projection projectionist there. Uh, where, uh, sort of six months later, I actually did become a projectionist for a short while, and before the uh, cinema actually uh, closed down. But uh, yes, yeah, so I was working in the cinema when Fight Club came out and um, the, there was a slight problem the first screening and um, there's a bit in Fight Club where um, Tyler Durden, is that correct? Tyler Durden, yeah, played by yeah. Brad Pitt, absolutely. Yes, okay, I just, it just sounded wrong to my ears, Tyler Durden. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's just my pronunciation um is he's on screen and he's sort of saying his speech and the frame is going mad 
and you can see like the um, sprocket holes that you get in film and our projectionist yeah. he was actually in the screening room because they always test the film they always watch it the night before it starts just to make sure there's no problems and of course that comes on and he begs it up late upstairs thinking fucking hell what's going on and then of course when he got up there the film was back to normal and of course he didn't realize and nobody said anything that these effects were in place that uh that it was actually part of the film and not a problem with the projections with the yeah so <laughs> yeah. you know with the projector so yeah there was, there was no warning about this and um i know that it, it was it was one of those films we were all kind of looking forward to um because we had the trailer playing and you had the sort of um fake advertising where they were talking about cinema rules or there was another one about um sort of airplane safety if i'm remembering this absolutely correctly. yes there was yeah absolutely so um yeah so we were really looking forward to this film and it was funny to think that uh, you know it's caught a lot of projectionists off guard because there has been a film recently where they had the same problem and that was wes anderson's um uh, the budapest hotel because of the changes in aspect ratio <laughs> yes absolutely because <laughs> the thing is it's actually a 2.351 ratio but within the story but to each different uh time period it changes the aspect ratio so from the very earliest where most of the story takes place it's four by three and then 16 by nine and then 2.35 to one so very confusing for for projectionists but the thing was we didn't get any we didn't get a note with the film to warning us this was going to happen there was was just literally put out and uh we found out when we tested it but but that was my experience of of when i was working at the cinema watching that film excellent yeah no i mean um yeah i i i hear you i too have in the past had some uh experience in in movie theaters when they actually back in the day when it was on film and not digitally projected like it all is now and uh uh yeah i know exactly what you mean and i can imagine i knew a few projectionists i can imagine them freaking out at that moment <laughs> so uh yeah um i mean my my thing with fight club uh it, it's really funny actually that we get to tell these little stories i almost feel like recording these podcasts I'm kind of doing my memoirs, you know what I mean? It's kind of, <laughs> <laughs> um, it is a little bit yeah. like that. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. But um, Fight Club was was sort of an important film for me because it was actually the very last film that I saw when I was living in the US prior to uh, my visa expiring and me coming back to England. So, so it was literally, I, I saw it the night before I left and, um, you, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, uh, of course I'd done the whole, you know, like we talked about in some of the extras, I'd done the whole film school thing and then, you know, got the work permit, et cetera, et cetera. And very much wanted to stay in Hollywood and stay in the, in the U S and thought that I'd be able to, and, uh, wasn't able to. So, you know, around this time, I was actually a little bit down, to be honest, I was quite depressed about the whole thing and as a result I had kind of missed um a lot of the uh advertising leading up to Fight Club 
Um, I think I had seen one very small trailer. It might have even been a TV spot. And it just made it look like a, uh, you know, a, a materialistic uh, insurance guy that, that, that meets a soap salesman and they they start a fight club, you know, so it all seemed a bit like, what? You know, that seems a bit, you know, bizarre. But the thing is, um, you know, my mates, they knew it was, it was one of my last nights in, in, in the, in the States. And they sort of said, uh, oh, come on, you know, come out, let's, let's go out, let's have a few beers, let's go and see this film. And, you know, I liked the people involved in it. Um, I had obviously liked, uh you know some of Fincher's other work so I thought yeah what the hell let's go and wow I mean what what a what a experience it was to see this you know going in not knowing much about it I hadn't read the novel um and you know straight away it's quite weird actually you, you know once it started I actually f- thought for a minute that there were um <laughs> that the projectionist had had sort of cocked up a little bit because of the very early subliminal um Tyler oh, Durden's that appear stuff, on yeah. certain frames <laughs> you know and 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 you know I was just taken on this journey and uh you know thought that this this film was amazing um and you know it was it was kind of a a good one to sort of if you if you like leave leave the US on um <laughs> and, and 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 yeah so very 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 good it was you know it was obviously much bigger than than what i expected it to be as i said i i avoided most of the uh, publicity prior to it so uh, wasn't wasn't expecting something that was so you know kind of anti-establishment and um anti-consumerism and and just you know massively massively entertaining along with it so, so you know, uh, very good. That was the thing. Um, you know, that we didn't really know much about the film. I hadn't read the book, um, but I did after seeing the film, and I I read it in one go. I, I don't read books much in one go. I do read books a lot, but just not in one go. <laughs> just clearing that up. Well, well, that that was that was how Fincher. Yeah, I mean, that was how Fincher became involved, basically. Uh, apparently he was working on um, uh, the game at the time and his right. agent contacted him and sent him uh, the book and said, look, you know, uh, David, you've got to read this book. You've got to read it tonight. This needs to be your next movie. And he was like, are you kidding? I'm working on a movie right now. I haven't got time to read a book. You know, what? What? what's the deal? I'm not going to do that was it and and apparently they just he, he got sold on the idea by being told about the uh the scene where they go into the um uh supermarket and uh he takes the clerk outside and and, oh, and basically God, puts yeah. a gun to his head and and you know basically says to him if you if you what what did you want to do with your life you know why are you doing this shit job what did you want to do with your life and he says about you know what he really wanted and he goes right i've got your name i've got your address if you're not studying for this then then you know i'm going to come back and get you and and, and uh, david fincher said as soon as it was pitched to him that way he had to go and read the book and 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 as you did he he literally read it in one sitting and uh then went and pitched it to um, uh, Laura Ziskin, who was the uh, who, who was the head of 20th Century Fox at the time, 
And um, he, he produced a, he said, look, this is, this is, this is how I want to do this film. Uh, I don't want a load of producers coming in and doing loads of rewrites and, you know, all this, I kind of want to make it as, as the book. And he, he created a sort of Bible of, well, again, this, this is something about Fincher. He, you know, in the early days, storyboarded absolutely meticulously um something we've talked about you know on extras and whatever how important it is to have that plan when you come to set and yeah. obviously since the technology has improved um you know he he has animatics for for everything that he's doing uh, <laughs> you know prior to filming it so essentially he's made the film in his head as i always think you should um you, you know, before he's even gone out and shot a frame of it, um, which, uh, which, you know, which I think is, is evident when you see the, the sort of quality and tightness of, of, of his movies out there. Oh, well, a film like this, you need to storyboard it. It's just so much stuff because it's, it's, it's literally going shot, 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 shot. There's never a repeat. There's never going back to something because it's always moving forward. It has this wonderful forward momentum. You're always moving Absolutely. forward. It's always going from shot to shot to shot. And just, you know, the the amount of invention in there, I mean, the whole bit where it's going through the garbage can and he's talking about Planet Starbucks or the bit yeah. of the Ikea um, magazine, you know, the catalogue, and he's walking Fernies, through. Fernies, as they call it, yeah. <laughs> well, he's working. he's walking through his living room and you see the furniture appear with, you know the descriptions popping up like you do in the ikea catalog you know? yeah and it's it's all that kind of wonderful effects stuff and as i say just this wonderful forward momentum and it's our whole idea of, of jumping around as well so you're immediately into the mindset of the character because yeah. you're not aware of where you are he, he's a character who's sort of you know he doesn't sleep you know and and of course, he keeps, I don't know, blacking out. And then, you know, one minute he's here, the next minute he's somewhere else and he doesn't realize how he got there. Well, we don't really know that because of, of, of telling a story via film, you miss things out and the audience fills in the blank. But, it, but in this case, it wasn't the audience filling in the blank. It was another character filling in the blank. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, this this is the thing. It it is such a multi layered film, and yes. um, you, you you know that the, there's so much going on. Um, you know, there's the, there's obviously a reveal as well towards the end of the film, and it makes you. It's definitely one of those films that incredibly enjoyable the first time round, but at the same time it's one of those films you can go back and watch again and again because you can experience it in a different way once you know the ending and once you uh you know know what it's about <laughs> well Carl, we're going to talk about the ending because i think it's quite important to the story but i just want to make the point that the build-up to this it was a film called fight club it was about you know illegal boxing matches you really i mean that was how the advertising was putting it was that um, you know it was going to be about these guys who fight each other, and if anything, that's like the smallest part of the story. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, yes, there I mean, are fight clubs, but that's at the end of the day, it's not what it's about. What it's not about, it's you know, Operation Mayhem. 
Yeah. The first rule of Operation Mayhem is you do not talk about Operation Mayhem. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. I mean, this was the thing. This is, like I said, you know, where my mates had to do a little bit of a sell to get me to come and see it because it, exactly that. I thought it was going to be a film about, um, you, know, you know, fighting um, and obviously which was one element of it. But, yeah, I didn't realise it was going to be something so much more than that. And uh, uh, y- you know, and, and an absolutely fantastic piece of work it is uh, as well. You know, wonderful performances. Uh, you know, I, I like the three leads that are in the film. Um, anyway, I like their work, but I mean, I think this is some of the best stuff they've they've done. I mean, to see Helena Bonham Carter, <laughs> you know, take on this role was so different to all the English Rose stuff that we'd seen her doing up until this point <laughs> but i mean have you not noticed though that i think that's what she's really well no okay ever since fight club whenever you see her out in public she does look like her you know she does look like that oh character. yeah she dresses a lot like that character. So i think it was closer to her personality than all this sort of english rose parts were no no i, th- I think fincher said fincher said in one of the commentaries that you know when when he um when he met her, you know, he was expecting her to be all a bit sort of RR and, uh, you, you, you know, um, uh, Royal Shakespeare and all this kind of thing. And he said, you know, she was actually a bit of a mess <laughs> and, 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 and you know, kind of all over the place and didn't really have her shit together and thought, oh, this is going to be perfect for this role, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, and, and, you know, what a fantastic entrance with her, like, you know, turning up to a, a testicular cancer group smoking. <laughs> I was just like, you know, this is so wrong. I mean, the film is such a black comedy. It well, that's really it. Is, I mean, what's, well, after the opening, what's the first thing he says? Um, Bob has bitch tits. Bob played by Meatloaf. <laughs> yes. You yes. know, and uh, the big yeah, moosey the- in the corner. With the blubbery eyes, and of course he'd um, he'd been on steroids, didn't he? And he'd he'd juiced too much, and, uh, and of course they had was it they had to put in like lady uh, hormones or something to counteract it. Absolutely, or he was taking ladies' hormones, and that's just you know gave him bitch tits. It gave him a nice yeah <laughs> a, a large pair of boobs. <laughs> <laughs> so. But yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, um, a great performance by Meatloaf yes. as well. One, one, one <laughs> as yeah. well. But um, yeah, which is surprising but, but, after seeing to to catch a yeti. Oh, I've not seen that. <laughs> Don't want to okay. see it. It's terrible. <laughs> and Meatloaf's terrible in it, but he's right, he's really enough. good in this film. I mean, so he's you know he's great in Rocky Horror Picture Show. Uh, but, I mean, because. Um, I didn't know who Edward Norton was at this point. I know he'd done some films, but uh, this was the film that really introduced me to Edward Norton and how great an actor he is. All oh, right, had you not seen uh, Primal nope. Fear? No. Nope. Yeah. Oh right, okay, great. Um, treat yourself okay. to that. That's that's very good. That's but the I one mean, with Richard Gere, um, isn't it? Oh, it I remember. Is, it is I remember indeed. it came and, out. And, just didn't and didn't appeal to me. Oh, right. Well, trust me, that's one you should add to your list oh, to okay. see. All right. That's all I'm going <laughs> to say on it because uh, we'll stick with Fincher. <laughs> yes. But, um, but yeah, uh, no, Edward Norton, um, wonderful performance, uh, you, you know, and, and uh, <laughs> yeah, as, as the sort of 
sardonic narrator um, uh, of this of this yes. story. Who has no <laughs> and, name? Uh, no, who has yeah. no name? No, indeed. Until he meets well, <laughs> Durden, <laughs> Tyler <yes>. Durden. <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, wonderfully played by Brad yes. Pitt. Um, you, you know, uh, I always thought that that you know, I know the idea. <laughs> The idea was, uh, you know, you're supposed to be kind of a mess and whatever. But I always thought Brad Pitt looked incredibly cool in this film with his yeah. uh, hairstyle and his wardrobe. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, everything, it's sort of thrift store Everything look. was just sort of very quiche, wasn't it, that he was wearing? I mean, especially that sort of dressing gown with the big kettle on the back. Or as the teapot. <laughs> yes, that's yeah, right. The yeah. It's just yeah, like, yeah. it's so furry. <laughs> Not furry, but it just seems so rough and readied and... You know, but that was just like the whole film. Um, yeah, Brad Brad Pitt's well, really the, good in it, and uh, I was really surprised he actually uh, filed one of his teeth for it, didn't he? Apparently uh, yeah. so. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was he was borrowing from De Niro. Well, I had read yes, that uh, on the lead up to it, but I just thought that all fitted into the whole sort of illegal boxing matches stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. No, it it, it did, and um, you, you know the the, the he was very effective. I mean, you, you know, all the performances in it were very strong. Um, I'm also glad I actually saw it in the US because one of the things they did do when it was released in the UK was, I mean, it was only oh, very yes. minor, but some of the fights the actually got yes. trimmed. The, the one, the, the fight with Jay Leto. Sorry, Jared, Jared Leto, Leto. Leto. Yeah. That yeah. would have been interesting. <laughs> Brad Pitt beating up Jay Leto. <laughs> I'm sure people would love to see that. Uh, okay. Uh, Jared Leto. Yeah, I, I I had a copy of the film from the US on DVD, and that fight just went on for ages. He just absolutely yeah. pummels him, and tell the truth, really well. My personal opinion, the UK cut was probably better on that fact because it just didn't take so long. I mean, you got the point. He he wanted to destroy something that was beautiful because he also felt jealous yeah. of how the two were getting close to each other. And you know you didn't need to see it that long. Well, yeah, but then it go then again, you know, it was supposed to be like sort of disgusting and uncomfortable, and I think that was kind of the point, you know. So, uh, um, you, you know, I, I I prefer to have it unedited, but but yeah, but regardless, the film works either yeah. way. So yes, <laughs> and the film works very 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 good. Um, on a on a very good level all round. Um, it, one of the things that I think the film didn't, and I know Finch has talked about this briefly. The film sad nothing to do with the film itself, but it did suffer uh, release wise yes. slightly by the fact that the same year, uh, but earlier that year, um, the Sixth Sense had come out. And uh, again, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen it. Um, but but the, the the Bruce Willis character in that was 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 dead. So yeah. he, you know he they went back and sort of reshowed the film uh, play out. You know with that, which of course Tyler Durden being a figment of the narrator's imagination has a similar sort of play out at the end, which. Some people were like, oh, you know, we've seen this. And obviously that's not Fight Club's fault, but that's just unfortunate, um, you know, because of the release time. In fact, interestingly, also around the same time that suffered a little bit off of the back of um, Sixth Sense was uh, David Coet, the screenwriter, 
uh, directed a film starring Kevin Bacon called Bacon. Stir of I remember Echoes, that one. Yeah, which was, that, that played yeah, around which was the same also time. A great yeah. film. But again, it had it had a few like similarities um, and was was often compared uh, to the Sixth Sense. So again, sometimes these things are made, and it's just bad bad timing or bad luck. Maybe you know? that was the fact <laughs> that the that Fox were not happy with it. They they weren't happy with the film, how it was what the the final product was, and they were trying to bury it. Uh, oh, it broke out more likely than it was released. Yeah, it really didn't. I like mean, was it. it Fox Searchlight originally? Was it Fox no, Searchlight? This no, one? I don't think Fox Searchlight. Well, Fox Searchlight was around, but it was definitely 20th Century Fox that was making it. Right, but um, I, yeah, I mean, the thing is, I think the thing was the executives and and whatever probably didn't really understand what the film was about because y- y- you know, and interestingly, you know, that they had hired a a director of you know in his past commercials to do kind of an anti-commercial film (laughs) (laughs) which is which is quite ironic when you think it is yeah it is um (laughs) but still he made it's it's an amazing film and i remember once it came out on vhs me and my friends we were watching that film all the time we'd always go around people's houses and it's like you seen fight club nope oh here we got it put it on uh, you know, we used to watch it a lot. Well, well, as you well know, I love my little Easter eggs, and um, he, oh, he always plenty he always, of them in there. Yeah, well, one of the one of them you don't even see all of them, but what I thought was quite cool. I mean, he he points it out on a on a commentary, but again, you you only see really one of the films is in in the uh, in the street where the, uh, the 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 coach comes in. They've got um, seven years of Tibet, uh, the people versus Larry. Flint in Wings of the Dove, so they've got the three films of the three main, you know, stars of the film up there, which I thought was yeah, quite yeah, cool. I've, I've seen that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's one of those sort of, but that, that was purposely done. That wasn't like a mistake. Oh, absolutely, it wasn't like um, seeing. Oh God, no, 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 no! It was an Easter egg. It was done on purpose. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, there's been other times where film titles have appeared on cinema. Um, on cinema boards and it's been a mistake they just happen to be there like oh really um, okay like having uh you know bill paxton lance henriksen and um vasquez in um near dark walking past a cinema that's got aliens on <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, that wasn't. It done was on not purpose, done on purpose. No, no, no that was. That was just oh, right. like, it was very low budget. That to do something like that costs money. Well, that was early Catherine Bigelow, yes. wasn't it? Near yes, Dark, it I was, believe. Yeah. yeah. So, a great film, actually. I do do enjoy yes. that one. <laughs> Bill Paxton just really hamming it up and chewing the scenery, but in a good way. <laughs> but I have to say, I saw a film uh, years later, and. Um, Clive Ashton showed this to me, and that was uh, Santa Sangre. Now, why I bring that up is because Santa Sangre has a similar twist to the film. In Santa Sangre, um, it's about a son whose uh, mother uh, cuts off her own hands, and the idea is then he, uh, in later in life, she comes back to him when he's in a, a mental institute, and uh, he becomes her hands. 
But of course, it turns out all the time that his mother was dead, that he was, you know, that her persona had sort of affected him and he had literally become his mother. But it was this whole idea of having a character, a major, major character who affected the story turn out just to be the figment of somebody's imagination. Now, maybe that goes back to Psycho with Alfred Hitchcock, mm-hmm. but you never saw Mother. Mother was always somebody referred to. Mother was always sort of that shadow up in the window with the light going on. It was all that just you never really saw it. But uh, with both Fight Club and Sansa Sangre, these were two characters who affected the story you saw on screen. You saw a lot on screen and you did not realize who they were. You know, you just saw them as their own separate characters and you didn't realize they were part of the hero. Interesting. I've not I've not seen that one. I won't bother. No, now. no, no. It's well <laughs> no, worth I'm seeing, though. It's, 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 it's a very good film. Uh, it's by uh, Alexandro uh, Jorodowski. So well worth checking that out. Also, if you haven't seen it yet, you probably haven't seen it in this country, but you should check out the documentary about uh, L, um, Alexandra Jorodowski's June. Ah, oh, it's a it's it's a great oh, okay. documentary, and you just wish at the end of it, you go, God, I wish I could have seen that film. As much as I like David Lynch's June, I wish I could have seen that film. It would mm. have been amazing if they had been able to make it, but uh, alas, we know it, it wasn't made. But so many good things came out of it, and one of the good things was Alien, right? Which I think, yeah, <laughs> doesn't lead us on to <laughs> our next I'm, film. I'm no, laughing <laughs> I'm laughing at our podcast because they always go back to Hitchcock and Alien, <laughs> don't they? Every single one of them. <laughs> that says a lot about you and me. Yes. <laughs> uh, oh, okay. oh dear. Uh, is there anything else more you want to say about Fight Club? Oh God! I mean, there, there is, you know, there is so much I can say about this. But oh, I know what I want to say. I want. I know what I want to say. Can I just say this quickly? Um, did you notice that uh, it, the the opening credits to Fight Club was ripped off by X Men? <laughs> no, seriously, it <laughs> okay. was. It's exactly the same credit opening sequence. For so for Fight Club, you've got. Um, the sort of the neurons firing and you see the cameras following it and following it till it goes out his mouth and then up the gun to, you know, seeing him with the, the gun in his mouth. And there's a, it's exactly the same thing going on in the X-Men. I thought that was, yes. wow, buddy Fox, <laughs> <laughs> you know, what did they well, do? You know. They just, they went over, they, it was like Brian Singer just sort of walking around and sort of just happened to walk past the effects department in Fox and sort of saw them working on the, opening credits and it's like oh i'll have that <laughs> it's it, it's a homage right <laughs> but, i mean fight club came out yeah. first so <laughs> indeed indeed but, uh no no I, I, that that's very true now you mention it yeah <laughs> so excellent excellent um no i mean you, you know there, there is a lot to say about this film but to be honest it, it's probably not stuff that hasn't already been said um You know, it is just an entertaining film with so many layers that, that, you know, you can go back and watch over and over. And I actually, even though I've seen it plenty of times, I actually did watch it again, uh, you know, in preparation for for this podcast and, um, you know, thoroughly enjoyed it. Still chuckle at the right, you know, the same places. And, um, 
yeah, you know, um, it goes by and you think, oh, you get to the end and you don't realise you've been, you know, sat there all that time uh, watching it because it really is a enjoyable ride. So, yes, this this is why I chose it as my movie heaven for um, David Fincher, which, let's be honest, it's up against some pretty stiff competition. So. Like my <laughs> pick for movie heaven, uh, which is Seven. Yay! Yay! Now, Seven, um, I saw um, uh, on a date with my first girlfriend. Ah. <laughs> it was a, a double date with uh, me and my mate Kevin and his girlfriend. So, uh, yeah, it was. Um, we drove all the way out to Hatfield to see it. Now, because let, let's be honest, it's a real date movie. It isn't is, it? Isn't it? So... <laughs> <laughs> it's probably why that relationship didn't last. <laughs> Uh, but uh, yes, um, I remember going because I had seen Alien Free, and um, I had been disappointed. And uh, um, so, yeah, but I I liked what I saw from the trailers for this film. So I was like, yeah, I want to see this. I want to see what it's like. And it was, man, it was whew, such a, a such a breath of fresh air or dirty air. If you've seen the film. That is, it was so it's so great to see a director who had been so downtrodden by a, a studio to come back like that and make such a great film. Uh, and, and I personally think a masterpiece in like you know in crime thrillers. I wouldn't argue with that. I would, uh, you know, it was very it was very nearly the one that I would have chosen if you hadn't already. So I, I get it <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so. Um, have you read the script? Uh, I can't say I have. I did. No, um, I went out okay. and bought the script and I read it. And uh, the beginnings. I'm impressed <laughs> that I can read, or I got. I went out and bought a script. No, that, that you went out and bought and read the script. I'm well impressed. <laughs> That's well cool. Okay. <laughs> well, this uh, at the time I bought it, I was, you know, it was about '98, so I was getting into, you know, making films and stuff. So right, you know, um, I just I was like thinking what scripts can i read so i read this one i read usual suspects uh reservoir dogs pulp fiction and clarks and chasing amy all good scripts or excellent scripts so yeah so good ones to read and learn from exactly definitely. so the beginning of the film is very different um what happens at the beginning of the script is that um somerset is looking at his retirement home out in the country so it's all bright and lovely. And he cuts a piece of um, wallpaper. It's a, a little flower, which you do see in the film, but it, it doesn't it doesn't really have the significance without the opening, the original opening for the yeah. film. And what happens is he boards a train and as he comes back home into town, everything just gets danker and darker and, mm -hmm. you know, decayed and more like the city we see now it's it was a very sort of long opening uh very similar to there was a, a similar opening it's scripted for blade runner where Deca yeah they did actually shoot it it is on the deleted scenes yeah. on the uh on the dvd and yeah. blu-ray releases yeah. so um but they decided not to not to open with it because of that reason i think that it was slightly slow there was also i believe a, a continuity error with the costume that 
uh, Freeman was wearing. So I think they took it out for that reason as well. <laughs> but I mean, the, the introduction we get is brilliant because it just straight away, it's just about character. Somerset is somebody who notices things and asks questions that the other cops don't want to ask because they just want to get on with the job and, you know, move on. So he, he asks the question about, um, did the kid see it? And it's like, who cares if the kid sees it? His brains are all over the wall. And he just, it's that, it's that thing where he does care, but it's just that he's been at it so much, he's gotten really cynical about it. And, of course, there you get the piece of the line saying, well, we're glad you're leaving us, Somerset. And then we are introduced to David Mills, uh, Brad, the character played by Brad Pitt, who is the young, enthusiastic go-getter. And what makes this film great is the interplay between these two characters and their different points of view, because they're coming from experience and cynicism and naivety and hope. And the two of them are clashing together over this one case, which is about, you know, just showing how shitty the world is, using John Doe's words. No, absolutely. And we get into the seven deadly sins and you and what is so great that a lot of films didn't do it up to this point is you don't actually see the murders. You see the aftermath. And everything is left to your imagination because the stuff is kind of grisly. And really, we don't need to. Our imaginations can fill in that blank really well. It's better. It, it did that thing where it withheld seeing those murders and you were just following the cops up to the third act no i absolutely um uh you know i mean you know one one of the things that that i liked about the setup for it and the, the setup of this world is it's one of these ones where it's never actually referenced exactly where they are you know it's kind of it's kind of in its own universe in in a in a certain uh respect and and one of the things that I love about Fincher, uh, and this is all of his films, um, is the fact that he is really, really uh, detail-driven. Um, you know, he's much like a sort of Michael Mann or or a Ridley Scott to a certain extent. Is you know all of the attention to detail. Um, I remember the that John Doe's notebooks. They actually had you know, someone go and write all of these notes and whatever handwritten in these books. And it's just little things like that. It also, in The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, one of the things they do very well in that is whenever there's information, and there's a lot, you know, we're talking computer screens and post-it notes and photographs where he's sort of trying to build and recreate the the, the crime and whatever. Um to make it realistic, it's supposed to be set in Sweden, yeah? So all of the – anything that's not relevant to the story is written in Swedish, <laughs> but the stuff that's relevant is to the story English. is in English. And it's just those – I know, you know, some kids say, oh, well, that's not realistic or whatever, but it, it, it's 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 those those details and that attention to detail that I really love about his work. You know, I, I I love that stuff. As a filmmaker myself, I'm I'm you know I'm, I'm a bit obsessed with all the uh, all the all the little details and stuff, and 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 like it to be there. I have to say though that it's rather excessive to have all those books being written in, 
because he only he only well, opens yes, one is, book. But... So to have every yeah, book yeah, on that I shelf know. handwritten, that's well. Yeah, I know it's not necessary. That was a shit job for somebody or some people. You know, I hope they paid them really well to do that because that's a really shitty job to do to handwrite because they're full. Each notebook is is full, and you know, probably had about I don't know fifty pages, and they were written on both sides. That's a lot. Yeah, I mean. But you never know. Some some creative person in the art department or whatever may have absolutely loved doing that, you know, because it was kind of their. They might uh, have done it first. They might thing, have done it first, you know? <laughs> but um, after a while, that would have gotten old really quickly. But saying that, um, the opening credits for Seven are great because they they sort of put you in the mind of this killer. You know, you don't see him. And they've been homage so many yes, times. Yes, they? they have. With other films. Yeah, but I mean, at the time, <laughs> it was an idea of, you know, so you're doing the credits, but you're also sort of showing, you know, the sort of mindset of this character that they're going to be chasing. Because you see him peeling the um, his the skin off his, uh, his fingers. So he's got no fingerprints. You sort of see him with the uh, razor blade doing it. And then you see him um, with his sort of making his notebooks and the, the pictures and stuff. And it's just, it's really, now if that, that detail to attention is great. And just again, so you, you know what's coming is going to be, you know, it's going to be nasty, you know. And also it's somebody, this is the thing about the John Doe character. He's, he isn't, you know, yes, he is criminally insane but also he's coming from a point of view that you can relate to yeah no absolutely when they have him in the back of the car and they're you know interrogating him or talking to him um he said what kind of a shitty world is this that we see a sin on every corner and we just let it go by we don't do anything about it and the whole idea i mean i don't buy that people would have like studied this crime and you know followed it and all that kind of stuff you know, like he sort of he says it's going to happen, but um, but yeah, I do love David Mills' uh, reaction to that. It's like, yeah, uh, you know, you won't even be remembered. You, best of all, you'll be like a TV movie of the week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, that's again, it's just this wonderful interplay between Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman and their two points of view, and um, you know. Uh, Brad Pitt's character, David Mills, is a hothead. You know, he's the, he's the guy who charges in. You know, he makes the dumb moves and stuff like that. And there's a that the the chasing in it's great. I mean, that's so Blade Runner. That's what it reminded me when I saw that. No, movie. it is, and 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 uh, obviously Brad Pitt, you know, hurt himself for yes. real doing that that's chase. Right. You know, broke his wrist. You know, sliding off the. Uh, the car bonnet or whatever and hit the windshield and um uh, but but what was good is they adopted that and put that into the story and made that part of the character which was um well was was about the best thing they could do i suppose but uh but i kind of liked it as a touch you know they must have been shooting that film in order then because if if that had happened at the end of the film they would have been buggered you know if they must have been shooting in yeah, order. Yeah, well, one of the things, one of the things I re- yeah, 
one of the things I read about Fincher um, is within within reason, yeah. um, he does like to uh, to shoot in order wherever he can. I mean, obviously, it's not always possible or, or practical to do that, but um, uh, I, I know that um, uh, he, you know, he has mentioned um, that that he that he likes to do that when he can. Uh, from from interviews and things. Well, I have to say it's it's a, a good way of doing it. I mean, my personal experience of directing Blood and Roses, we did shoot most of that film in order. There's we had to go back to the beginning at the end because of two of the actors was only available. Well, we could only get accommodation for them for the final week of shooting, so we had to go back and shoot all that stuff, which was a bit weird for the actors because they had gone through this. Um, transition from the beginning to the end and then they had to go all the mm -hmm. way back to the beginning again but uh yeah it's it's um it's a good way of shooting it's the nature of the beast if yeah. you can do it yeah exactly i mean if you've got loads of locations all over the place then it is always comes down to scheduling if you can get these locations at you know at certain times but uh let's get back to seven i mean also as well this is uh one of the films that made kevin spacey because there was this and then usual suspects came out and you know, Kevin Spacey had been around. Um, he was in, uh, see no evil, hear no evil. <laughs> yes, yes, he was. <laughs> <laughs> Love that film. <laughs> and he was in, uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Yeah. Which is a Good fantastic film. movie. Um, anybody who's into mammoth, uh, that is just exactly yeah. <laughs> great stuff. <laughs> But, you know, just never seemed to be able to get a break. And then these these films came along where he was sort of playing, you know, these, you know, bad characters. And then that was it. His his sort of career, it, he became a star. I wouldn't say his career kicked into gear because he was a big theatre actor. He was working a lot. But this, you know, propelled him onto the world stage, became, you know, especially in film. Yeah, absolutely. And and of course, began a relationship with, um, you know, obviously with Fincher uh, that was ongoing as with uh, Brian Singer as well. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's uh, um, so, yeah, he had a very good time around that uh, that sort of mid to late 90 area. Yes, he did. <laughs> he did. But, um, he, he does. He made a, a hell of a character because uh, he's not over the top um, in in some ways, he's very similar to uh, Hannibal Lecter. Um, yeah. If anything, it's more um, the Hannibal Lecter for Manhunter than is from Science of the Lambs. Yeah. No, ab absolutely. And also, um, apparently, uh, the, you know, again, Fincher had to kind of fight the studio on this because they wanted to uh, to put Spacey's name you know, along with Freeman and uh, Brad Pitt's above yes. the title. And they were like, no, 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 no. We don't want his name to appear in the credits, <laughs> you know. Um, That's it, because it gives the game until away. Until the reveal, yeah. Yeah. you know, exactly. So, yeah. uh, um, you, you know, good on him for, for, for sticking to his guns there and not sort of pandering to uh, studio uh, marketing and all that bollocks, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is it. I mean, there's always, there's always a lot of pressure coming from... Um, from the studio to do things like that because they feel that anything to sell the film but then of course it just has, costs a lot of money it doesn't make any so, it doesn't enough. make any sense when it's uh him because he wasn't a name at the time 
Nobody's nobody's going to know it was Kevin Spacey. Who's Kevin Spacey? Exactly. Plus, you've got Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman, and Gwyneth Paltrow, all of which were pretty high hitters well, around this Gwyneth time. Pil- so yeah, <laughs> no Gwyneth Paltrow, not really, not so much. She that was sort of like one of her early uh, film roles. She was uh, dating Brad Pitt at the time. That's right. Well, that's how she agreed to do it, apparently, because when she first read the script, she didn't want to be involved. Well, exactly. And, uh, well, Fincher had a chat to try and get him to uh, persuade her to do yeah. it. So, in fact, uh, Brad Pitt was responsible not only for persuading her, but also um, for getting Kevin Spacey involved as well. Um, I, I believe, you know, him and him and David Fincher became you know, quite good friends and whatever. And, uh, and, and, you know, Brad sort of helped Fincher cut through some of the bullshits, you, you know, around, you know, agents and contracts and all of that sort of thing, uh, to, to, to get the, the cast that they wanted. So, um, good on him. <laughs> this is what I was going to say was, um, you know, there was a lot of reservations about the ending. Uh, even the studio didn't want that ending and it was very brave of the director to say no that's the ending i want uh, i believe even in the script writing stage they changed it that they had written another ending yeah well apparently apparently brad I- i've heard as well that brad said that he wouldn't do the movie if they didn't have the you know the the, the ending that we had you, you know um uh, how true that is i don't know but i've, I've definitely read that on imdb or or, or some where you know in the trivia uh, section yeah. no um, no it's it's, it's that, a known that, fact that, that was apparently the, the situation that they they wanted a different ending and uh, both fincher and brad pitt sort of stuck to their guns and said we're not going to do it without this ending and you know and we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have gotten this you know we wouldn't have got that line what's in the box what in the box what's in the box <laughs> one of the darkest endings yes. ever and yeah. uh but but it works so 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 horrifically it well did. and does make yeah. it you know an absolute um perfect horror thriller it really. does it uh, does and as i say um it's 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 like a gut punch to to you at the end uh to think you know fucking hell the the guy gets away with it life's not fair <laughs> and uh yeah that <laughs> that that film revels in it what's the the ending <laughs> quote yeah, the the ending quote is um, what was it? Um, oh shit! I usually remember it, but it's it's uh, Hemingway. It's um, you know, uh, oh the world is a great place and worth fighting for. And then Somerset adds, "Well, I believe in the second part." Indeed, indeed, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Which only Morgan Freeman could deliver in that way. Yeah. <laughs> 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 So, uh, oh, fantastic! Well, no, I mean, I'm I'm a hundred percent in agreement with you on this one. I think it is, if we have to define movie heaven in terms of a crime thriller, stroke horror, um, you, you know, th- this procedural, yeah, procedural. Then this is absolutely, uh, you, you know, you can't get much more movie heaven than this. I I, I would say. <laughs> well, before we move on to movie hell. I just want to say my favorite part of the film is when Somerset walks into the um, library, which the security guards let him in. And he goes, gentlemen, all these books, 
and all you do is play poker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the guy turns around and goes, you want culture? We've got culture for you. And starts playing um, air on a G string. And it's just amazing bit of music that plays over the scene where he's going through the books trying to find out about uh, Dante and uh, yes, all the levels of hell and everything and the, the seven deadly sins. And it's just great. And um, yeah, it's just sort of so uplifting in the middle of that film. If there is anyone, you know, listening out there and anyone who's particularly interested in, in learning about filmmaking and the craft and, and whatever, um, you, you know, seven is, is definitely one of those films that should be um, studied. And, and looked into definitely because it works on pretty much every level that it should work on. Uh, and it breaks all the rules as well because it knows about those rules before it's breaking them. And, uh, and, and you know, it, it's really, really is, is tight and great indeed. <laughs> well, there's some great videos on YouTube. There's a lot of video essays, essays about it, so uh, they're well worth checking out, especially one that... Um, breaks down the scene where um, they're talking about the first murder um, sloth and uh, Somerset is sort of giving his report to the chief who's played by, um, you know, the gunnery sergeant from uh, Full Metal Jacket, who also has some of the best lines, <laughs> you know, this isn't even my desk, <laughs> put the phone down, but the, just the placement just the placement of of them on the frame and sort of how Morgan Freeman is off to is off to the right and he's not even looking at Brad Pitt and he's talking to the but then he changes position in the frame when he does start talking to Brad Pitt. It's you know it's it, it's certainly a masterclass in framing of position and how that relays the relationship between characters and this and the state of that relationship at that moment in time. So as I say, lots of video essays on no, absolutely. Out well worth absolutely. checking out. Okay, so we have been to movie heaven. Now we should proceed to movie hell. So Keith, what is your pick for movie hell? All right. Well I mean it, it's not unusual for me to you know, in these things, sit on the fence and say that I I struggled to find a hell. Um, you know, I, I did. Um, you, you know, a lot of people think that uh, Panic Room is not one of his best films, but you know, for me, that that always works. Yeah, it's all right. Well, some people say Zodiac isn't great, but again, oh, Zodi yeah, okay, Zodiac's it's, it's great. Exactly. It's inconclusive because it's based on a, a real unsolved crime. However, yeah, you know, it, it's a very well, great type film with some wonderful actors in it. So that was good. So, yeah, so I had to sort of look at the lexicon and think, well, what is it of his that I will say? I won't say that I hate, but I say that I have a problem with maybe it doesn't quite work. It's not my favorite film of his. And it, it might surprise you, actually, because it is a mystery thriller, which is, you know, one of my sort of favorite type genres. And it's the film he did in 1997 called The Game, which was a film that he made between um, Seven and Fight Club. Um, yes. And, you know, for me, this had all the elements of something that I should absolutely love because uh, it, it starred Michael Douglas and, you know, 
for 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 me looking in looking in the past you know for me the 90s michael douglas kind of was to the the thriller and playing the sort of every man in a in a thriller what sort of jimmy stewart was back in the 50s with you know some of the hitchcock <laughs> films and whatever and and you know essentially if there, if there was a sorry i got to stop you there i got to stop you there cuz i just pictured uh, jimmy stewart in basic instinct that would have been a different film wouldn't it (laughs) Uh, i i I have to say yeah imagine that imagine imagine if paul verhoeven got his claws into him yeah absolutely (laughs) (laughs) but yes yes michael douglas yeah yeah i mean and sean penn uh playing his his younger brother i mean on the, you know, on the surface, uh, you know, there's a lot of things I do like about this film. Um, there are a lot of things that work. And it's definitely not a badly directed film by any stretch of the imagination. The problem with it is it's really down to the um, the, the, the script because, you, you know, obviously we suspend our disbelief all the time in movies and, and you, you know, you, you can have certain buys that you can you know, go with. But in my opinion, this one um, just just went too far uh, with with coincidences and, um, uh, you know, one coincidence after another. Now, I think originally, uh, I know he stayed on as a producer, but I think originally, um, uh, oh God, I'm, my mind's blanking now. Um, yeah, it's it's the the director of um, Breakdown. Yeah, who I've worked with, Jonathan Musto. With, yes, there uh, you I, go. I, I think he was attached to this, and 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 the writers they were the same guys that went on to you know like write Terminator Three, Rise of the Machines that that he did well, later this direct. Was, yeah, this was originally going to be um, Jonathan Musto and Carl uh, McLaughlin, right as uh, as the Michael Douglas character. Yes, who's Nicholas Van Orton, who's a wealthy investment banker. Um, yes. Uh, who's who's kind of, you know, quite a miserable character, um, uh, you know, ridiculously wealthy, but carries a, uh, a big ghost because of the suicide when he was a child of his, of his father on his 48th yes. birthday. Um, Which is all caught on Super 8 film. Yes, absolutely. It's all. I mean, that's all wonderfully done. Actually, I kind of like. Like I said, it's not. It's, this film is not badly made. It's just a badly conceived idea. Um, yes, I mean the the first half of it is is quite good, but then it sort of really falls apart um, because it just it, it, it's this whole thing. So the idea of the game is that it's a, a it's like Total Recall, where instead of you going to the holiday, the holiday comes to you. Yes. And it's supposed to be this life altering uh, experience. And it's also something that they repeat all the time, but they cater for individuals. But the thing is, there's, as you say, there's so many coincidences that if Michael Douglas's character had done something completely different, the whole thing would have been ruined. Yeah. You can't plan somebody like something like that so perfectly. No, no. I mean, um, I mean, I mean, whereas. In fact, it's interesting that you mentioned Total Recall because one of the things I did want to say was, you know, the other week I w- when we were doing De Palma and I said, look, you know, 
I don't mean to sort of rag on all movies that take place on Mars. Well, there's an example. <laughs> Vera Hoven's Total Recall I love. Yeah. So yes. I don't yeah. hate all Mars movies. I just thought I'd get that one in there, as you mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but anyway, we're not on Vera Hoven yet. So um, no, uh, no, 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 no. That's, so, that's quite a way off. Yeah, exactly. But um, yeah. No, but no, with, with regards to this is, yes, you know, he, he gets bought this gift by his younger brother, Conrad, who's played by Sean Penn. Um, you, you know, it is it is supposedly also, even though he was in his mid 50s when he made this, but it was apparently it's supposed to be his 48th birthday, birthday Michael yeah. 48th birthday in the. And there's there's a company called Consumer Recreation Services that uh, or that, CRS CRS yes um, yes which is a it's it's it, you see those initials popping up or... you do I mean again there are little Easter eggs throughout it but the 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 big problem with it is um, and the reason that you know I've chosen it as movie hell because I don't think it overall works is is it's a very interesting ride. You, you know, it, it, there's a lot of exciting things happen in this film. There's a lot of mystery to it. There's a lot of action and suspense. And it's a really good ride. But the the end, the payoff, the reveal is actually incredibly disappointing. And not only is it disappointing, well, the reason it's disappointing is because it's totally unfeasible <laughs> for so many reasons that, we, you know, we'd probably be here all night dissecting it in this podcast if we were trying to go through all of the coincidences and things that didn't work but you know let's go over it let's go over it so <laughs> you know so he he gets to a point where he's paranoid that you know that these guys are out to get his money and that's how they're playing it i mean the the bit where he goes round to uh, the girl's house so he meets this waitress played by Deborah Kara uh, Unger yes yes who um I read that her uh, audition piece was sending them uh, sending director scenes from Crash, the uh, David Cronenberg film. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yes, and they were didn't quite know what to make of her, so they they brought her in for an interview and uh, and uh, see that she was really good and cast her in the part. But it, so she, you know, he gets a note to say follow this girl, and they go on this. They get chased and. With stuff he loses his two thousand pound a two thousand dollar gucci shoes in an alley <laughs> i mean this is the kind of guy he is you know <laughs> yes and you know and then it looks like they're trying to blackmail him with pictures of her and him in sort of sexual positions and stuff which i i have to say i, I don't well okay it wasn't i think there was that and but he wasn't married i don't know who he was divorced so how that would have that blackmail would have worked. I mean, okay, the drugs and everything. Yes, I understand that. If he was caught with drugs, then that would be pretty bad for him. But being caught with some with a girl in a room with pictures, that bit didn't quite make sense. That really didn't make sense. But anyway, uh, so moving on, he tracks her down back to her place where they. She sort of tells him that there is, you know, you know that there that is. You know, was it? Um, he starts having because he's so paranoid. He's having a go at like a smoke detector, thinking there's a camera up there. And of course, she's like, "No, no, keep your voice down. Don't say anything." And of course, they all burst out this van that says CRS on it, but it's like some sort of cable car or something like that, cable repair car, and um, starts shooting at him. And it's like 
they're going, oh, you know, at the end, she's, she's trying to explain it. It's movie magic. It's squibs. They're shooting at his car. They're breaking the glass. Yeah. That looks like real well, bullets. The, well, this is the problem. Like, I mean, that all yeah. of these, all of these so-called sort of smoke and mirror things that they do as part of this experience. I mean, the chances of him not getting hurt or even worse, dying in this process are incredibly high. Yeah, very um, high. And and and, and you know, it, there's there's a bit where you know he's in a car and he. And he, he it goes off into into the river, and he, he he'd found earlier as a bit of fore, foreshadowing. He found a a handle that he could use to sort of unwind the window to get out of the car. But again, all he had to do was not not have picked that handle up or put it in his trouser pocket or whatever, and he'd have been bloody yeah. dead. You know what I mean? <laughs> so <it> was... <laughs> but she she explains that by saying that they had divers on on hand nearby yeah, just to if he if he did get into trouble. It's... But look, <laughs> I want to get uh, let me get to my point. Let me get to my point. So you know they're being chased, and the whole idea is that. Um, they make out that all his accounts have been drained. And so he starts ringing them up to check this is the case. And of course, what, what he he's doing or what he's told he's been doing is he's given them all the codes, everything to get to his account so they can drain it. And then this is the bit where he gets drugged and then he wakes up in Mexico. <laughs> now, up to this point, this is it sounds kind of feasible. It sounds like... Oh wow, this is this is pretty cool. This is you know this is a whole thriller where his brother's been sucked into this you know this world where he can't pay and he's brought his brother in to try and get him out of it, and of course it's just not working because they just want more money. And to me, that sounded so much better than you know it being an actual game, that it being a con. Yeah, but then I I've, I don't know how they would have concluded that. Yeah, well, I mean you you know. It, it, it... He gets back and, you, you, you know, there's just so many, like, like at the yeah. end, at the end, um, you know, my, 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 my instant question would have been, well, what if he'd chosen to jump off the other side of the building? I mean, did they have <laughs> airbags all around the building? You know, it, it was no. just so, it was just so coincidental. And it wasn't like you can buy maybe one, but it was, it was coincidence after coincidence after coincidence and just i just felt as i said the journey very enjoyable nicely directed well acted well made you know a, a fun ride but you know the big dipper at the end of, of of that ride was was a real anti-climax and it was like uh really you you know and you had a good actor like sean penn in it who was frankly rather wasted as well i felt you know um he was almost in it for namesake you know <laughs> i quite i thought he was very good in it actually the, the the brief moments he was in it i mean uh sometimes sean penn could be quite annoying but in this he, he was actually quite uh approachable he seemed to be playing a decent person for a change instead of you know some sort of scumbag or horrible person you know this is the kind of characters he sort of plays he actually seems to be quite personable yeah which you don't normally get. But yeah, I mean, there's so many points in the story that if he had deviated, that would have been it. I mean, what if he decided, fuck it, I'll stay in Mexico? Yeah. yeah well, just... Or if the guy hadn't pointed out that he was, he still had his Rolex that he had to, you know, he could get money for, which uh, funny enough was his father's Rolex that was a present to him on his 18th birthday. And you see the inscription, but he sells it pretty damn quickly. You yeah. Know? Yeah. For somebody who's hung up on his father... 
you know, especially committing suicide on his on his forty eighth birthday. Um, you'd think he'd be hanging on to anything that belonged to him. So I, I was quite surprised how quickly he sold that watch. You know? No, I agree. It doesn't seem he didn't, he didn't just went. It's like you could get a lot of money for that, and the next thing he's eating tacos. Yeah, no, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, it, it didn't. You, you know, it, it didn't quite work for me. So that that that, as I said yeah. earlier, that is why I've chose it chosen it as movie hell in so much as it's not a film that i don't enjoy um and you know i'm not necessarily saying it's a it's a finch has made a bad movie um but you you know there's that saying sometimes like you you can make a a a bad movie out of a, a a good script but you can't make a good movie out of a bad script and um you know i just sort of felt for me this this was this was you know, I'm all for suspending my disbelief, but this was just what one too far, and I just don't think that overall it made much sense. And uh, you, you, you know, it was particularly after a film like Seven, um, this was a bit of a letdown. I felt <laughs> it's a good thing he made Seven first because at the time uh, he was trying to make the game. Yes. So if this had come out before Seven. Uh, I don't think we'll be talking about it. Yeah, possibly not. I think yeah. I don't think it would have. Um, I don't think he would be the director he is today without Seven, because, um, as you say, the game is a very well-made film, but compared to Seven, it's mediocre. Club, yeah, it's mediocre. Yeah, and so it's you know it's 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 such a shame because he's he's a it's a very good director and it's well directed, but the. The overall film is just it's it's a bit mediocre. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, certainly to the the films either side of it, which are the two we've talked about, you know, Seven and Fight Club. Um, th- this one, if 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 you look at it in the order of his films, this this one is a little bit of a um, a, a letdown. Um, I feel, and and it was it was tough to choose a movie movie hell, but um, you know, I, I'm quite satisfied that picking this one. Uh, bearing in mind there was another one that I couldn't pick, <laughs> uh, but, but, pick it, but, pick it, but picking this one, um, I, I felt was 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 probably the uh, the right one. And and you know I'm sure there's people if anybody is listening to this screaming you know in total disagreement with me. This is purely my opinion. And I I agree with you. I I I actually I went back and I watched it because it had been quite a while. I mean I think I watched it when it came out on video. Uh, back in 97 or 98 and I, I don't think I had been back I had seen it again since then so I went back and watched it and for the first half I was like oh, I'm going to disagree with Keith on this one I actually I'm really enjoying this <laughs> and then it hits that point yeah and you go oh, actually no I can't it's just it's really once once you get into that third act it really falls apart mm. and it's very well put together the whole sort of setup. And then the execution is pretty good, but then once once you get into that third act, that's where it falls apart. Because there's there's so many points where, as I say, he could have deviated, gone the wrong way, decided to do something else, and then um, you know that would have the, the, you wouldn't have got the same life altering uh, conclusion that they had. No, exactly. I mean, you know, when I was re because I rewatched it again as well, and I was sat there thinking oh, shit, have I made a mistake here? Should I maybe text Simon and try and come up with something else and all this sort of thing? And I thought, you know, as soon as I got to the, the the end of the film, I thought, actually, no, I'm sticking to my guns here. This doesn't work. So movie hell. 
there you go. So, my pick for movie <laughs> hell. I think you can guess what it is, because there's, there's really only one other uh, film in his filmography that you can consider to be bad. Oh, dear. Yes. And that's Alien 3. We, we always come back to the Alien franchise, don't we? We the do indeed. The frustrating Alien franchise. Yes, indeed. Started off so well, first two, but then became an important um, item to Fox, and that's when it fucked yep. up. Yeah. Because Fox then took a really, instead of leaving it alone and let the directors get on with it, they start becoming interfering. Yeah, so the advertising for Alien 3 was, um, you know, this time everybody on Earth will hear you scream, that the aliens were going to come to, to Earth. And I had read a lot of the comic books and a lot of this had taken place with Earth involved. And um, so I was looking forward to it. Yeah, they were trying to stick with the whole this time thing wasn't it you know like because they've done yes. this time it's war for aliens and yeah. it, obviously in space no one can hear you scream for the hear first scream, one yeah. so yeah they tried to sort of be clever and mix the two but it didn't really make sense did it because it didn't end up being that <laughs> no so. it became a, a a prison planet um you know this sort of run down you know no technology works kind of trying to go back to basics but then having too many characters. Now, I, when I was at Panico, um, you know, studying film, there was a guy there who loved Alien 3. And we'd always have arguments about it because he, he thought it was great. I said, well, no, no, there's too many problems. For one, you can't differentiate characters when you see them because they're all bald. Mm -hmm. And any characters you have a connection to are killed off within the first hour. I mean... You know, Charles Dance's character is the only one we really sort of get to know. And then once we find his backstory, he's killed. No, absolutely. Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay. And then the other character that you really liked, Brian Glover, he gets killed. Yeah. And then you're left with all these other people you didn't even really know about. You know, apart from the leader of the prisoners, he's the only one you sort of kind of knew. You didn't know so much. And of course, he then has to sort of carry the weight of being a character we sort of get to know throughout the rest of the story but... yeah no i i agree i mean i mean you, you know i i kind of um i kind of had sort of problems with it you know from the get-go because of course uh um you, you know killing off hicks and and new after they'd set them up so beautifully in aliens for aliens for one and um yeah. uh also you know it didn't make a lot of sense because um you know where had the face hugger come from had the queen uh at the end and managed to put that on the ev um but i had problems with the fact that whereas james cameron i mean i always wax lyrical about james but the fact that you know he he kept everything from the Salaco, um uh sorry he kept everything from the nostromo escape pod right down to the fact that you've got the harpoon gun that ripley fires still stuck in the bottom of the hatch when they come and rescue her from a hypersleep and whatever what they do in this film is they change everything, which makes no sense. So suddenly she's yes. in a different cryopod to what she was in at the end of uh, Aliens, which, you know, really bothered me. Little things like that straight away. And, and No, know. saying that, I, I, I did like the montage at the beginning of the credits. 
I thought that was really well done. And I I thought the music was really good in Alien Three. I thought I, I did actually like the Wasn't music. It? Was it Elliot Golden? Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. And I, I I thought the music in it really worked, and it sort of sold that kind of you know edge of space kind of no man's land and faith all thrown into one mix through the music. I thought it was mm. it was really well done. But um, yeah, there's there was lots of stuff in. Now, again, I sort of I I. I'd seen the comic book and the idea was that uh, the f- face hugger had attached itself to Newt. And that's why there's the, um, the acid on her, on the outside of her cryopod. Cause you remember they found the, the, the acid burn on, on Newt's cryopod, mm-hmm. not, not Ripley's. Yeah. And so the idea was that um, Newt was impregnated, but she drowned. And the embryo actually swam out of her mouth and swam into Ripley's mouth. Now, of course, that makes no sense. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's an embryo. It wouldn't be able to do that. That's not clear either. You mean, yes, I agree with you. You get this sort of opening montage with the credits, if you like, that, that sets it all up. But... But it, it doesn't make, you know, really what happens particularly clear. Um, in fact, if anything, it's it, it's it's confusing almost. Yes, because okay, um, the there there is a fun little thing at the end of the special edition of Aliens because special edition of Aliens came out just bef- uh, the year before Alien Three was released, and that was sort of where you saw, you know. I first heard about Alien 3 being made because I'd heard about the director's cut of Aliens, that there was all this extra footage. I I believe it appeared in the News of the World. It was photographs, screen grabs of of scenes that were cut out of Aliens, including um, Newt's father with the face hug on his face. And so, you know, when it came out on video, first day, bought it. (laughs) <laughs> got my mum to go yeah, and get too. it for me yeah me too yeah absolutely uh, but at the end of the credits you can hear an egg opening on the special edition and that's kind of like the thing that ties it in so the the idea is that uh, the alien queen as well as hiding herself uh, she's laid two eggs one's a queen and the other one's a warrior a protector how she had time to do that and also attack uh, Ripley and Bishop and Newt you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I really don't know, but there you go. Um, they they were on there, and of course, they smuggled themselves onto the EV <laughs> and uh, crashed on Fury. Yeah, which happened to be another Wayland Utani uh, prison colony. Um, uh, again, with the whole alien and the escape pod going and all this sort of thing it it did all seem you see even this reeks a little bit of convenience all of a sudden you know (laughs) you know what i mean storytelling convenience rather than sort of feasibility um but you know i think this is the problem when the script is 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 constantly being rewritten and reworked and um you, you know, this was constantly being done on this this film. Oh yes, um, a friend of mine uh, called Nick Hughes. He he had a scriptwriter friend who told him about a, a version that he wrote of Alien Three, 
and the idea of that uh, the aliens that it was set on Earth, and there was like a space station that was connected by um, uh, you know like a, a massive cable or you know it was something that connected the Earth to the space station, and the idea was that the aliens were in the space station and they were trying to make their way down to Earth. And the whole idea was that Rick, Rickley and Hicks was trying to stop them getting down. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, well, I mean, everybody from William Gibson to Eric yes. Red to David Thoy, you know, so many people were involved in, in a draft of this film before it went back to Hill and Guyler. There was one version where um, the aliens were a, a virus that could affect anything turning anything into an alien so turning te- you know like a piece of technology into an alien which i mean fucking hell that would have been really shit <laughs> that would have been prometheus yeah <laughs> i'm glad they didn't go with that i mean it, it seems to be like a natural idea because they um the one thing they always did with alien and aliens was progress the biology of these creatures but then comes um alien free they were actually regressed they went back yeah because they wanted to go back to a more alien sort of situation where it's a group of people who can't defend themselves that well having to deal with this creature um i mean the acting in it is all right it's good uh i think sigourney weaver's really good in it because she is left to sort of carry the film by herself. And I think if she wasn't in it, that it's just really wouldn't have worked. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of good British actors in there, even though uh, a lot of the times their sort of roles were kind of confused. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at Paul McGann's changing accent <laughs> and the fact he also had a part of the story cut out. So he just disappears in the theatrical cut. and. We're talking about the theatrical cut. We're not going to talk about the assembly cut that came out on Blu-ray and DVD because um, it does actually make the film better. But again, that's but that wasn't David Fincher's cut. And in some ways, this isn't David Fincher's cut either. Oh, totally. I mean, I, I was fortunate enough um, towards the end of last year to uh, to coincide with, with Gone Girl, which is a great film as well, by the way. Um Fincher actually did a life in pictures uh, at, at BAFTA. Okay, and um, I was I was lucky enough to to uh, have a ticket and go along to that. And obviously, it's you know he, he talked about his career, um, you know, right from the start, right the way through to to Gone Girl, um, where he was now. And um, you know, they did touch on the Alien uh, Three saga, which he didn't he didn't talk talk about too much but he, you know he he basically just said that um he, he, you know he things were changed and, and rewritten on him on a daily basis plus he had you know loads of trouble because he was quite young at the time um getting any respect from from any of the other crew or producers and and you know there were just so many things that went wrong hence why he's had no participation whatsoever in any of the dvd or blu-ray um releases and he's the only director out of you know the 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 four um that that hasn't you know gone on to sort of uh 
you, you, you know, offer commentaries or, or be interviewed about it and things of that nature. So I think it really was a, a, a very painful experience for him by the uh, by the sounds. But he, he didn't go into too much detail. You know, he moved very yeah. swiftly on. <laughs> and, and you know started talking about seven and rightly so yeah <laughs> but um uh you know it's interesting yeah i've met charles deluca who uh he's he makes the documentaries for the alien films and he also did dangerous days for blade awesome and yeah and he said um fincher just did not want to know he absolutely did not want to know and he's he was saying that he actually saw him in a, a cafe once and he thought, should I go over and say something to him? And he decided not to. Because he, he kind of respected the fact that, you know, that he was burnt out by this thing. And, you know, if he could live, you know, to the end of his days without having to answer any questions about it, he'd be a very happy man. So that's, yeah, they sort of, they sort of respectfully said, okay. But they did put, um, there is a bit of footage in the making of, the sort of three hour making of on the Blu-ray that's extra that wasn't in the DVD. And that was uh, David Fincher making a quip about uh, Fox. He sort of, this, the, the shot is he, he grabs the mic and says something into it. I can't remember what it was, but you know, you could just see his frustration. Well, the, the trouble was I so wanted to love this movie because you know, Alien and Aliens are, as we've already discussed on, 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 you know, like the first podcast we did, you know, they they are amongst my favourite movies ever. And, um, you know, I so wanted this one to work. And and whereas there are good elements with it, um, overall, it's, it is a bit of a disappointment, really, isn't it? And, and I, I watched it. I watched the theatrical version uh, only last week because I'd seen, obviously, the assembly cut and whatever more recently and um yeah you know i did sort of think to myself uh, you know there's some good stuff in here but overall it is a bit of a mess <laughs> really which is a shame yeah it is a shame and i mean a lot of british actors in there and stuff um oh there's a there's a cap there's a chap in it um a black actor called leon herbert mm-hmm. now i I know of, I, I've never met him, but I know of him. And that was because of a TV show called Movie Versions that was shown on Channel 4. And for the life of me, I have tried to find this series because it was great. Because the idea was they took a, a film that had a budget and they took a film with no budget and they compared the two of them. And you saw how each one got made. And Leon Herbert made a film called Emotional Blackgammon, which was the no, no money one. And um, it was just... It was it was interesting to to see, and he was a like character to follow. Uh, but yeah, he had appeared in uh, a few films. He had appeared in uh, Alien Three. He's he's the you know when they're going down the tunnels and they're lighting the candles mm-hmm. and they keep going out. He's the he's the black guy there doing the sort of really bad American accent. <laughs> <laughs> it's really thick. Um, but yeah, he had done that, and he had worked on uh, Scandal. But yeah, it was it was kind of interesting to sort of see him or, as a director working on a low on his low budget film um, against this other film called Sorted, right? Which uh, had like a, a million dollar budget, and uh, yeah, didn't look that great at all. But uh, did uh, was the first film that had uh, Sienna 
Gilroy, isn't it? Oh, right. Yes, who's gone on to do a fair yes. amount of stuff now. Yeah, she was in Fortitude quite recently. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I sort of remember in uh, Resident Evil Apocalypse. Yeah, oh, that's right. Yes. And she came back, didn't she? She was in a couple of them. Yeah, yeah. But she looked exactly like the character at the game. Yes, so I understand. Well, at least in one film she did, uh, one film she did, and then in the other one, completely different or something. <laughs> but, uh, but, but we've already done poor W.S. bloody Anderson. <laughs> yes, we have, haven't we? Yes, yeah. <laughs> But uh right. Well let's let's wrap up on, well, on this. I mean okay. yeah, it's I think if if you can take anything away from this film is that um you know studio interference, especially when in a production phase, is is so destructive and you you, you can see the fingerprints of the studio all over it and it's just it, it's it's a mess of a film and it's it's problem is um you just really don't have the time to get to know the characters that you should be caring about because there's it, there's just so many people i mean it, it's just this weird thing where the people you get to know get killed off very early and the people who are really the fodder to be killed off are sort of left towards yeah the they're end. saved to be killed off with the alien chase at the end yeah <laughs> yeah and it, it should have been the other way around because by this point you just don't care. Yeah, the, the dog stroke ox stroke dog alien, by the way, because again, yes. all of that is running on ceilings as well. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah um, unfortunately, the the a lot of those shots just doesn't work now. It's not CGI; it was puppetry, but it just it just really looks awful now. But uh, I was going to say. Great performance by Sigourney Weaver. Yes. Uh, this is this wonderful sort of her sort of coming to terms with her relationship with the alien. But, uh, you know, and, and should have been ended there. That should have been the end with her diving off at the end. But of course it wasn't. Before we finish, I have to ask. Bishop at the end, human or android? Well, I mean, again, this is where it's ambiguous, isn't it? Because... Um... You, you, you know, uh, in, in you, you see red blood as opposed to the sort of white fluid that, that the uh, the androids have. But at the same time, the way his ear is, is sort of hanging off and the fact that, you know, he doesn't like he's not unconscious from being whacked over the head with a fucking great spanner. Yeah, kind of kind of suggests that maybe he's um, he's an android, but uh, it, it, it's yeah, ambiguous. I would it say he's an android, it, does it? It he, doesn't he's, make sense. He's an android. He's an android. He's an android sent by the company and Sigourney Weaver's right not to trust him. But yeah, um, yeah I mean, yeah, I mean, a shame what that film could have been. Maybe we'll get that. Maybe we'll get this with uh, Alien 5, the Neil Blomkamp uh, version. It's going ahead. It's got Sigourney Weaver in it. It's got Michael Bean in it. And oh, has it got Michael Bean in it? I didn't it. know that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Um, have you not seen? Have you not seen any of these concepts? Well, hold on. Hold on. What him? happened? What happened with the bloody great girder that was through his chest then? <laughs> well, they, it's one of these things. They're doing like a, a Star Trek or Terminator Genesis where they've just changed it. Yeah. Um. By the way. Yeah. Uh, something. Something on that. On that note, actually. Um. What was quite interesting, I still remember chatting to loads of my mates about this um after alien 3 and it was probably some years after i'm thinking it may have been 
really early internet, but I'm not sure about this. It might, you, you know, it was certainly before um, blogs and, and chat rooms and things of that nature. But there was a, there was some sort of document going around um, about uh, Alien 3 being Ripley's dream whilst in the, um, in the sleep yes and, i heard this yeah, one. And, yeah. and it explained things yeah. like why the continuity wasn't correct and why she landed on a planet which was all men and she was the only female you know even newt had died and it sort of explained all of these things and to, as to why it could have been a dream and they were trying to do that whole sort of fucking bobby ewing thing i think yeah with the franchise <laughs> yeah. but um but, 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 well it, it's more like a um twilight breaking dawn kind of thing now, yeah isn't yeah it? no absolutely um <laughs> but uh but yeah so they, they they were they were um you know even even as far back as you know mid 90s or whatever this was this was um this was being discussed and i don't know whether it was a a fan created thing because they you know people were it frustrated a, yeah it's a fan theory but, it's a fan theory yeah. it's it's very much like this fan theory going around at the moment that the whole of the disney universe is connected and it, this comes from <laughs> the fact that two characters um from tangled appear in one shot of frozen all oh, right and there's this whole fan theory that the whole disney world's connected wow this is all above my head now, I'm afraid. <laughs> I know. It's, it's, it's a lovely idea, but it's not. It, it's not connected. It, it's just, it was just, you know, an Easter egg put in there for people who spy it. But then all these theories about how, um, was it, um, Elsa's parents were going, got killed in the storm because they were going off to this other country that where Tangled takes place. And there you go, bloody hell, you've putting too much into this yeah you're, you're overthinking this too much slightly overthinking it you know? no absolutely um, as the film says let it go let it go absolutely um what one one last thing about fincher that i would like to add um actually uh simply because mm -hmm. it's something that that i've been harping on about now for years and and it was something he actually <laughs> said at the um at the q a uh or not the q a the the, the talk that he did um they asked him at the end about the fact that he, like, you know, most, let's be honest, most actors, producers, writers, directors um, have all done it. You know, the, the, the sort of transition over to television um, with his involvement with House of Cards. And he yes. said, and, 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 you know, this is the sort of thing that, 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 that I totally agree with and what I love about it all is he said that, in his opinion, um, television is the medium and the place to explore and develop character. You know, he said, whereas your movies are your, are your big sort of uh, event, high concept, you know, plot driven, um, you know, things, which obviously, yes, of course, they're about character as well. But he's saying that, um, you know, because of, because of the amount of time you get to develop television, and the amount of hours you get of screen time and whatever, it really is the way to um, to explore character. And that's why he loves working with um, Kevin Spacey uh, on that show. And uh, I just thought that was really cool because, you know, I'm, I'm a massive movie fan, but definitely in the last 15 years or so, I've, I've loved this 
emergence of 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 you know bigger and and better quality television and uh definitely like the cable shows sort of being that lovely sort of um mid ground between movies and tv that 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 sort of allows you to take all those all those film type risks but gives you like 13 hours to to tell the story and um uh you know i just thought i don't know why i'm throwing this in but it was a comment that he made and i just thought oh i'm going to bring that up in the uh in in the podcast well let me just add that it's the ability now to watch things in bulk to what bulk watching you know so uh sorry binge watching the ability to sort of sit there and for 10 hours straight you can watch a tv series like game of thrones or uh i did it with daredevil recently actually netflix did this thing where they released all 13 episodes in in one go and i literally spent an entire sunday and watched or 13 hours of it in in one go <laughs> it was with you know with the odd toilet break and and nibbles but uh, <laughs> but thoroughly enjoyed it i did too <laughs> tv is now taken up the middle ground that used to be taken by the sort of mid-budget feature film this you know it, it's funny how people won't sit for three-hour films yet they will binge watch for 10 hours or 13 hours or 16 hours on tv and Maybe it's because it's the writing. Maybe it's because it's the stories. Um, maybe it is the ability that, that just to have that time now to sort of build characters. But it is funny that you know, you know, people complain about films if they're too long, but yet now we'll watch, you know, binge watch TV. Yeah, yeah, no, it is interesting. I guess it comes down to the point that you know that each episode is forty-five minutes and has a beginning, middle, and end, and but it continues. So you can stop at the end of each episode and know that you're not going to miss the whole thing. Where with a long film, you have to sit and watch it. Otherwise, you know, you will, you know, if you stop it in the middle, you got to come back and you're back in the middle instead of ending it on an episode. But yeah, no, it's because they're now putting the money in it and the resources and that they're getting the actors who normally would be doing films. Oh, totally. You know, film actors doing TV who probably would have been retired by now because, you know, they're not getting the roles they used to. No. And now they've they've embraced embraced TV in a massive way, and it's, you know, we're we're sowing the benefits for of that. But also, we are seeing the the demise of the middle ground film because the the kind of stories that would have been told in that, you know, they they're now being made as TV series. Yeah, I guess that's bad news for guys like you and me, isn't it? (laughs) In some respects. Because all we're being left, all we're being left is the no-budget film or the high-budget film. Yeah. Yeah, You've got like the crazy blockbuster films, you know, at the cinema and... um, Or the indie breaker. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. uh, The television is kind of filling in that middle ground because obviously it's no longer the small screen anymore because um you know the quality has gone up and and the size of you know the average size of television screens has gone up immensely but but also because of the fact that you can kind of watch stuff wherever you are whenever you are now and um you, you, you know uh um it's it's interesting but as i said there's another massive long debate and another podcast there probably but but I just thought I just like the fact that um, Fincher, you know, a highly respected film director, um, you, you know, has as many of them have 
moved across into television and when asked about that you know that was that was absolutely his his response um to it and i just thought mm, that's 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 really interesting so as we were talking about fincher i thought i would mention it here and uh, certainly a way to end on indeed so that was movie heaven movie hell with david fincher uh, I've been Simon Aiken and and I've been Keith Isles. You can find Keith's work at yeah. If you go onto YouTube and you put in British Isles, that's Isles spelled E Y L E S, as in my surname, you'll find uh, some of my work, some of my short films that I've made up there. And I believe there's also a link to that that Simon's very kindly uh, attached to this podcast. Yes, it's in the. Uh podcast notes so you can find the direct link to keeps work and you can also find the direct link to my work on youtube and on my website at uh, independentrunnings.com okay uh please do check out the um facebook fan page we have uh which is uh movie heaven movie hell and also check out our twitter uh which is at movie heaven hell uh thank you for listening and um join us for our next director